What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vane podcast. Uh, sorry I didn't post on Monday. This is Tuesday. Um, just had a lot of stuff go on, and then Parker and I couldn't couldn't connect last night. Too much hunting, which is totally fine for an excuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, today on the podcast, we'll be covering a little bit about Parker and I's season, how it's been going, because we we both hunt about 10-15 minutes apart. We pretty much have spent the last three weekends together, except for in the same tree, you know, every night, every morning, coming back together, talking about what we learned, what went right, what went wrong. And then, so we'll kind of talk about that a little bit, but really a, a large portion of this podcast is going to be um, wind and thermals and how those uh, interact with each other, especially when it comes to ridge and valley settings. So it's just, it's very complex. And it's something that I've learned a lot about over the last few weekends, just spending a ton of time and also having straight, consistent, like South winds for the last three weekends, you know, some spots that should be good for South winds when you have ridges and valleys, aren't good. Some, some that shouldn't be good are good. Like it just, it, it's strange how it works out, but once you figure it out, then you're like, you have like a light bulb, like, Oh, okay. I guess I can see how the wind can swirl like this and work its way like that. And you get a Southwest wind and you sit in a spot and it's coming out of the East and you're like, how in the hell does that work? Like, it's not something you plan out on Onyx, right? No, not <laughs> so at all. we'll, we'll talk about that too. And then we're also going to go Wisconsin's gun season opener is this weekend, this coming weekend. So we are going to dive into um, gun season tactics for public land and private land, what we think the best bets are. And we've all, both had pretty decent, um, well, I shouldn't say super good success, but we always see deer. It's just whether or not we want to shoot them. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, <laughs> I haven't shot a deer with my gun in a few years. Yeah, no, but, I, I haven't either. Cause I never see, I honestly don't see the good bucks. I see a lot of does and a lot of young bucks. And it seems yeah. like those, those big guys either slip through or they just don't move or, yep, yep, or they just know yeah. what's up. Right. Exactly. So all right. So with that, Parker, why don't you, why don't you start off and give me a little bit of a rundown on the last few weekends, how they've been going. Have you been seeing a lot of deer, no deer, like what's, what's been going on? I know, but just tell the listeners. Yeah. No, I've been out. I've been out a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. How many days do you have? In, how, like, how many sits do you have this year? I was just Already. going over it when I was before this past weekend and I was, I think I'm at I'm over 45 sits now which you know a morning sit or a morning midday and evening sit you know that'd be three of them but it's been it's been tough <laughs> I've seen a lot of deer honestly I mean I've, I've seen probably more deer than I ever have but I've been I've been really picky <laughs> but I have seen I have seen a a few nice deer, a few really nice deer, um, you know, throughout the season, most of it's really been in the past month, but, uh, just haven't been able to, haven't been able to close it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. These past few weeks we had a, we had like an awesome, I'm trying to think now, like we had an awesome Halloween kind of time frame, right? We got a big cold front. The 25th to like the 30th. Season yeah. Yeah. That was, was like the time. Right. It was fantastic weather. And I think like moon guys were all excited about it. It was supposedly a good moon phase, but honestly, for me, that was my, that was my toughest week. I think I saw the least amount of deer 
Really? That I've seen all season. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the week we ended up going to your place for one hunt, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was like, yeah, because you weren't seeing shit. Yeah, like, up and we went in the tree and we had a pretty decent encounter. Like, right, we were there for like an hour and a half. <laughs> it wasn't even a long sip. So like 10 deer or something. <laughs> but yeah, I just I just had to get out of my place. Like it was just not happening for me. Other people were seeing deer. My brother-in-law shot a, a nice buck that weekend. But yeah, I had like three or four sits of seeing one deer maybe one small buck no does wasn't seeing the does i think it was one of those it was just one of those weekends if you were finding the does you were finding a lot of deer and i was just not finding the does so i struggled but um yeah i don't know i guess after that warmed up it got got what 70 record highs or near record highs and i had i had four days Couple, took a couple of yeah, took a couple of vacation days, and me and uh, Brenda, my wife, we were out and hunted, hunted hard, hunted a lot. But the activity was hit or miss. It seemed like we had a couple sits that literally didn't see anything, and then had a couple sits that we were just covered up in deer. But it was uh, it was pretty sporadic, and like I say, it was hot. There was not the midday kind of activity that we normally see that time of year. It's all kind of which is like the first week in November. Yeah, it was what the seventh. I'm trying to get my dates straight in here. Like the sixth through the tenth, I think. Yeah. Know. Yep. So I hunted the fifth through the eighth. Solid. I mean, a lot of lot of hours in, and it was just it was hot. It's tough. It made it tough. Yeah. I mean, my my favorite time of the day that time of year is 11 to 2 probably or maybe 10 to 2. And, I mean, we were getting out of the woods at 10.30, 11 o'clock. Like, just wasn't wasn't happening by us. But uh, I think we saw – gosh, I got to pull up my sheet here. Yeah, Parker actually keeps, like, a log on all this stuff with the winds with his tree stands and then he combines that information with his <laughs> camera pictures which is right like, <laughs> yeah it's an extremely extremely time consuming task but it gives you a ton of information to look back on and data and so then you can say you know parker hunts how many acres do you hunt like you guys own like 160 or 200 or something like that. And you get the, we have, yeah, we have 240 and then we can hunt the neighboring 120. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of it, you know, it's probably two thirds to three quarters of that is field. Um, a big chunk of that's pasture land that, you know, we have cows probably six months out of the year in there. Um, and then a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of hunting pressure. There's a lot of, people pressure there's a lot of recreators on the property which makes it uh, <laughs> makes it tough sometimes much but, to parker's uh, dismay check a trail camera where you're going to sit and there's someone in there yesterday just bombing around on the four-wheelers hanging out or, drinking beers oh yeah yeah <laughs> one in the morning two in the morning it's like oh yeah God, I wonder what they were doing <laughs> but um, uh well one yeah, of the, makes... the reason i was getting at that was because when you're if you're hunting like 30 to 60 70 80 acres you can kind of in your head keep track of a lot of that data but when you're hunting 360 or if you're hunting public and you have you know a thousand acres to go after Mm -hmm. that data can get lost really really fast 
Mm -hmm. Um, and especially if you have enough spots and with your ridges and valleys and bowls that you like to hunt, um, I feel like just keeping that, all that data in mind all the time is it's hard to keep track of. It really is. So, you know, on the, on my hundred acres, I can, I would say I keep, I retain about 70 to 80% of the information just in my head, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean like maybe that 20% is what's going to get me that big buck next year. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's important if you are having organizational structure issues and you're really trying to keep that data, like try to keep a log mm-hmm. and, you know, record the wind, record where your trail cam is, record the time of day, um, record if there was a, a cold front or not and what the temperature was and all that information. So then you can look back on it and maybe next year you look you, like in the spring, you really start analyzing. You're like, oh my God, like there is so much activity between mm-hmm. October, you know, 22nd and November 3rd on a north wind when the temp was lower than 50 degrees. Yeah. And then next year you can go, all right, so if I do have a floating day off or two floating days off, here's where I can use it. Yep. Yep. And I think that's that's kind of the key. Like I'm not I'm not looking at anything that I'm really tracking this year as something that's going to benefit me this year. It's all for next year or years to come. It's more like I mean, the, the thing, and I know I've talked to you and, you know, we're probably going to talk about it more today is just like the winds and like the areas that you pick in order to hunt based on wind. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've sat in spots and it's, you know, I've hunted, it's crazy. I've hunted on this place almost 20 years now. And it's like, I'm just starting to like light bulb turn on, you know, <laughs> but uh, just really trying to figure out those winds because they've just, I've had hunts that they've just killed me. I mean, you'd think it'd be a perfect, perfect day, cold front, whatever. And you don't end up seeing a single deer and always in the back of my mind, at least I'm going, you know, were they, were they smelling me a hundred yards away, 200 yards away where I didn't even get the chance to see them. And that's why I didn't see anything or, you know, does wind not impact it from that far distance, depending on the time of year? I don't know, but it always, you always got to kind of wonder. So that's why I've been, kind of keeping track of most of this stuff, honestly, for next year to help me cross spots off that I would think would be good with a, with a wind and ends up not being good. Yeah. I think that uh, that's a great point in the sense of rather than looking at spots that are good for this specific wind, look at spots that are bad for this. Yeah. wind. Yep. They'd crossing those off and then going, okay, well, if this, you know, if you have five spots, you're looking at, these three aren't good. Now it's down to two rather than looking at it like, okay, all these spots might be good. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a great point to make. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the hardest part about it is, I mean, if you think of a single hillside, you could have a third of that hillside be good with a specific wind direction. And that same wind direction, the other two thirds of the hillside might be terrible. You know, yeah. it's like, there's these lines that you got to kind of draw. And the only way, the only way you're going to be able to draw the line is sit there and experience it. You know, mm-hmm. it on paper, it makes sense with us with a certain wind direction you get in there and it's doing very, very different things, you know, as soon. And like, you know, there's one area in particular that I think of where you literally feel it. You could have the wind in your face as you're walking in and you hit a level and all of a sudden it just kind of feels like the wind stops 
or like it's not really at your back but if it was a stiff wind it's not in your face anymore and it's kind of like that was weird and you literally just pause like that ain't quite right and then if you keep going down the hill all of a sudden it's going any which way it's like oh my right. god i gotta gotta like pound some stakes in the ground like do not cross this time. <laughs> <laughs> right bad. this is the marker and yeah, I actually, it is. so so and we'll we'll jump right into the wind the wind piece here i mean as far as my season goes like if you guys have been t- paying attention to my instagram like i've been out pretty much three day weekends for the last few weekends i had a great encounter with a 10 point face to face that was october like 30th or something i came up over a rock ledge and he was 15 yards right in my face i had no idea what deer he was and never seen him before he was at the ears and he was looking down on me so i was literally looking at like the bottom of his rack and i could only see like at that point he looked like a decent eight point you know and then he turned to run away and i was like oh shit like i should have tried to kill that deer a lot more than than I did. Cause when I was looking at him from down below, like, you know, if you can imagine, I mean, nobody really, it doesn't happen. Like mm-hmm. how many times have you been below a deer and having them look down on you at 10 yards? Like right. it's just, it's a rare occurrence. Um, I was coming up over this rock ledge. So all he could see was my head and shoulders, mm-hmm. but I had that encounter. And then I swung and missed this last weekend on a buck that we were calling the G2 buck, just cause he has a split G2. Um, he's three and a half years old. I missed him. He was at 26 yards, which is just like a slap in the face. Like pretty much actually more than that. It's like a punch in the dick. Like it hurt. It hurt. Like, bad I, as mine. No. Dude, it was. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess I, I kind of derailed that whole subject. Didn't I? Yeah. No, uh, it's, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. Parker. Yeah. So I swung and missed Parker had a, had a hell of an opportunity set as you yeah. want to run through that. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Well, I guess from, I mean, I missed, I've had more misses this year than like the past 10 years combined. It's been terrible. I don't know what. For reference, you guys, Parker, Parker's a pretty out of our friend group. Parker's not to float your boat, but you're, you're generally the best shot. When we went to Bowfest this summer, um, we shot 3D. And if Parker would have put in for the money, he would have been in the money. So in the like amateur pro class or whatever it is, just for the bow hunters. So he mm-hmm. would have been, he would have finished top 10 if he just, if we would have put in for it. So he's a pretty good shot. Um, yeah. And you had, you had a few misses this year. <laughs> this is the first year I've been putting in part for points for Bobcat licenses in Wisconsin. And I had like four points drew a tag this year first time ever i've never even seen a bobcat in my life but we get trail camera pictures of them you know in the past couple years they've been more regular and just got a tag kind of because right you never know ended up i think it was mid-october ish had my first ever bobcat i've ever seen come in 40 yards missed him twice i can blame that one on the release though something Something was messed up in my release. I went, I have thumb button, click the button, heard it click physically, and nothing happened. And about the time I went, what the hell, it went off. <laughs> Cat ran like five yards, stopped, and loaded up another arrow. <laughs> Tried again, 
I was telling myself as hard as I could to just keep aiming in case it was going to happen again. Same thing happened and I just freaked out. And about the time I freaked out, I missed again. <laughs> then the cat was gone. So two misses right off the bat on potentially once in a lifetime event. I don't know, in the state of Wisconsin, at least. Yeah. So that was off to a pretty strong start, I guess. So that wasn't even the start of my season. That was after a month of pretty solid hunting. But uh, then I think it was that warm weekend, the start of that warm week during the rut here is like November 4th, Mm -hmm. 4th or 5th. Yeah. Had another bobcat come in. They're totally opposite corner of the farm, about as far apart as they could get. Last thing I was expecting to see, 30 yards. I don't know. I just kind of shit the bed on that one, I think. I think I no, I think he was actually 35. I had my pin set for 30. I messed up somewhere in there though, because I shot way low and way right. And yeah, could throw probably a dozen excuses out there, but missed it bad. Ran <laughs> off, gone. So then it was this past this last week. What day is today? Oh my god, I got my brain on this. It was the 11th. I had a real good encounter with a pretty nice buck we have some history with. He's just like a wide, short eight point. That last year he got hit by a car or something in like August, still in velvet. And he'd messed up the whole side of his face. It was it was pretty gangly, nasty. And he got real skinny. We actually didn't think he was even going to live. And uh, ended up getting just a couple pictures of him kind of throughout season. And he beefed back up and he was looking better, but he still had just this like weird patch on his face. Yeah. And then this year I got pictures of him early in like June and his eye was, I don't know if he's missing an eye or if he's just blind in the one eye, but all the nocturnal pictures of him, just that eye is dead, right? It's not reflecting at all. And kind of watched him throughout the whole summer he kept he was pretty regular on the farm but he was covering like a lot I mean corner to corner of the pretty much that whole 360 acres I was getting pictures of him everywhere and sure enough the one one day or it was the 11th I got out there like one o'clock wasn't real sure about where I was sitting the wind wasn't good I know I think I texted you and I was like yeah, yeah I might get down and move you yeah know. you're like yeah you're like just got settled in it's a swirly mother it then. was it was bad <laughs> yeah not not what I was expecting and uh yeah just half an hour in he came out at 1 30 and was just kind of working this wood or this fence line the same fence line that I missed that first bobcat actually <laughs> and uh <laughs> And I was, when I saw him, I, you know, he's an older deer, but I was not like super impressed with him. You know, he's probably like 120 inch eight. He's nothing special. And I just told myself, you know, if I can, if I can call him in and get a close shot, I'll shoot him for sure. And sure enough, I grounded and snore wheezed to him and he was pacing that fence line back and forth and he was looking for a buck. And he, he'd like walk up to it like he was going to jump it. And then he'd kind of walk back and move 20 yards and then walk up to it again. And he did that for like a couple minutes. And finally he went down the valley farther and jumped it. And then he was coming straight at me like on a string. And usually where they, where he was coming from, they take a trail that goes up in this bowl and it's 35 yards. So I just dialed my sight. I have a single pin sight on a slider, which 
I've used in the past. This is the first year I went back to it, kind of had my reasons, but set it for 35 and he did not take that trail. He kept coming on a string right at me. And finally he got to like 15 yards and turned to start going up this uh, four wheel trail. And the whole time I was just, he, he was, you know, I was really exposed in the tree I was at where, where he was coming from. So I was nervous to reach down and kind of redial my sight. So I just kept telling myself, you know, aim low, aim low, aim low. And he just kept coming closer and closer. And it was just aim low, aim low, aim low. And he finally turned, I drew back and 15 yards. I just buried the pin right in the, right in the 12 ring, let it go. And I hit him like above the spine. Like if I would have been two inches higher, it would have been just a graze. Like I wouldn't have even put a hole in him, but it was just kind of low enough where the arrow, arrow actually stuck in him and buried up to the fletchings. And he ran off and stopped and looked back and it was like, what the heck? And then he kind of took off out of there, like a bat out of hell. And that kind of, that kind of surprised me where I thought maybe, you know, I'm not, I thought maybe there, there was like a big artery in that area that it might've hit. And that might've been him just kind of doing the death run. But shortly, I mean, I lost sight of him after that, but he crossed a fence, ran. I mean, I eventually, I trailed him for, I, I was tracking it non-X and ended up being over 500 yards. And he crossed two fences and eventually I just ran out of blood, did a little grid search and, that was it Gone. yeah those near spinal areas are pretty much no man's land yeah like yeah right below mm-hmm. and right above like it's a, sure. it's a real shit feeling that you just like send an arrow through an animal and it's not going to kill them but it's probably going to hurt yeah um yeah i'm glad my arrow time. came out completely i was kind of nervous that it was going to like break off and maybe yeah. i don't know leave some splinters in there part of the arrow or whatever but it came out clean when I ended up finding it. So I'm, well, I'm thinking good. he's going to yeah. be fine. I'm, you know, I got quite a few cameras in that area. Going to be looking for pictures of him, but who knows? Someone might find him during gun season too. <laughs> yeah. That's we'll true. Or someone, I mean, someone will probably shoot him. During yeah. Gun season. Yeah. He was very, uh, he was a pretty mobile deer, but that was, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of daytime of him. So mm-hmm. it was just, he was cruising, looking for love that day. Yeah. And, he didn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least, at least it's a non, it's a non-lethal hit and yeah. he's very, very likely to live on those. I mean, yeah. you called, like I've called and talked to trackers about those hits before with friends and they're like, no, that's not, that's pretty much a non-lethal no man's yeah. land. Like I'm not going to track that. That deer is very likely alive. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah that's, that's, organs or anything. What's that? didn't hit any organs or anything yeah. so, i mean as long as as long as i didn't like shatter a vertebrae or some crazy thing that would right. somehow impact him but the fact that i mean he crossed two you know full height barbed wire fences and didn't really seem to didn't really seem to bother him at all so i'm not not overly worried from that standpoint yeah huh well yeah i mean so that's pretty much how your that's how your season's gone, and you haven't you've seen some good shooters too. And I've yeah I have seen I saw that ten point, and then I missed on that G two buck. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like my problem there was like I guess like I don't know maybe I was like half asleep or something. It was about nine thirty. I hadn't seen a deer all day, yeah. and I just had like 
in my brain, I was like, man, it'd be so awesome if a deer walked right through this area. I have this shooting window and it's 25 yards. I've killed, I killed my elk this year at 25 yards. I killed a buck a couple years ago at 25 yards. Like I'm good at 25, you know, and he comes in and he takes that trail at 25 and he starts to walk angle away from me. And I'm looking through my peep. And when he starts to angle away in my head, I'm like, okay, now he's moved out to 30 yards. Cause there was a stump that arranged at 30 and he was pretty close to that. Yeah. So then I just put my 30 pin right on like mid mid body line lungs and shot and just, he ducked maybe an inch or two, but I just like right over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. then I rearranged and it was, yeah, it was 25, 26 yards right where he was standing. And I'm, I'm glad I just flat out missed and I didn't, you know, I didn't have a situation like yours or I didn't like, you know, gut punch him or anything like that. I'm glad I just flat out missed, but, uh, yeah, it's just like, what the, like, I mean, hindsight, you know, hindsight when, when you're pin gapping or you're at like 25 yards, which seems to be a common range for, for my tree stands at least is like, I just need to put that 30 pin low in that armpit and put the, and the 20 pin will settle right above the lungs. I just need to like do that. Right. And the other thing is that I didn't stop him. And one of my buddies was like, you need to like, you need to stop that deer and that'll give you time to like, think about it. I was wondering about that when you showed the film. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason, the reason I didn't was because when I was sitting there, like I said, it was about nine 30 and I hadn't seen a deer all day. I was half in a daze. And I just like heard something off behind me. There have been squirrels back over there the whole morning. So I just mm-hmm. kind of look and there he is at 25, 30 yards, like coming mm-hmm. my way. And I'm like, oh shit. So I just like, first thing I did was grab my bow. Second thing I did was try to hit record on my camera, put my release on. And by the time I put my release on, he was standing right at the edge of that opening looking at me. Uh-oh. So he was actually <clears throat> looking at me. He was lifting his head up. And this, this, this is great question because it ties into our swirling winds because that morning i had a uh a a westerly wind that was super calm and at that time it had switched to south even though like it was supposed to be west all day where i was it was switching to south and that deer was northwest of me so he was coming right into my southerly wind and he was kind of in a little bowl right there and um and he kind of put his head up in the air kind of licked his nose kind of looked at me put his head up in the air again and then walked out into that opening Mm -hmm. and if he would have i can almost guarantee 10 to 15 more steps he would have caught my wind so like and this is my main shooting lane that he was going through so it was just like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden like he's there He's kind of spotted me, kind of not. He kind of knows I'm there, kind of not. So I just drew in in my brain when he like made that motion of, I kind of know you're there. It's like, okay, I can't stop him because if I stop him, he's like certainly going to duck and he might just run. Mm -hmm. Like if I try to make a noise, he might not even stop out of curiosity. He might just run. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, I was just like, you know, I should be able to just land this shot anyway. It shouldn't be an issue. And looking at the footage, I mean, if I was, you know, 10 inches lower, I would have, I would have punched him right behind the shoulder. I mean, it went yeah. right over the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I would have been fine, but, uh, but yeah, like at least if I would have stopped him, it would have given me a minute to go, what am I doing? Pin gap. 
pin gap at 25. Why am I putting the 30 on here? And yeah. also like he walked, I mean, my shooting lane was probably like the first one that he walked through was about, I don't know, four or five feet at 25 yards. And the second one he was walking through was another four or five feet, which is, you know, like three steps. And that's, that's that decision time frame. I mean, oh, I didn't yeah. make a decision in, in essentially like under three seconds on what I was going to do. Right. Um, and the whole interaction maybe lasted 20 seconds. The entire thing from right. the time I saw him to the time I missed to the time he was gone, it was about 20 seconds, hmm. um, which gives a lot of, lot of uh, truth to the phrase of it can all change in 10 seconds. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden he was there during the rut, he was there, and then I missed, and he was gone. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was it. I didn't see another deer that day. Um, the 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 hunting gods knew it just wasn't my day. Um, That's the thing with the rut, though, dude, like one minute could have a fantastic minute, and then the rest of your day could be nothing. Right. And I sat there for another just under two hours, and. Mm-hmm didn't see anything. And then at like that two hour mark, I got down. I was like, well, I might as well go check my arrow. Maybe there, maybe I did hit them and I just don't know it. I don't know. You know, so I went and checked my arrow, absolutely no blood, um, a couple pieces of hair. And mm. then I shot my bow. I had like a coyote arrow. I shot my bow and drilled a leaf at 20, 25 yards, right in that same spot and mm. stuck a freaking stump with that arrow too. So I had to sit there for 10 minutes and grind it out of there, which was a pain. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, that, that's a great lead into the wind and thermals thing. So in these, like, you know, here in the, by my house, I hunt a lot of marsh and like the wind is the wind. Like if it's Northwest, it's, it's Northwest. I'm not really dealing with a whole lot of, of variance, but when you get in that that ridge and valley terrain. I mean, the other, the other week I had a Northwest wind and it was South, South, Southwest where I was sitting and it's like, what the hell? And I was close to the top of a ridge. And the Mm. reason like it was, you know, hindsight, the reason it was like that was because it was coming down a steep Valley. I'm talking about the, um, the double mock scrape stand. Mm. It was coming down to myself it was coming down a very steep kind of like, kind of like Canyon Creek. I call it the Canyon Creek. It's probably like 20, 20 feet tall on each side. Mm-hmm. And it just funnels the wind right down it. Mm-hmm. And when it hits where the stand is, the, the ridge system in the Valley kind of turns, it kind of makes an S mm-hmm. and right where that S happens, the stands right above it. So it hits that wall of rock right there. And some of that wind keeps rolling with the valley and some of it comes up and over. And True. that's what I was getting was True. that up and over. Because when I went down in the valley later, after I got out of the stand, it was straight West as, as you were expecting. But mm-hmm. when you're up on that top right there, it was Southwest, mm-hmm. you know? So that was a big thing. And then also, you know, I had like, if you picture, this is, this is the big thing that I, that really like, dug into my head these last few weekends is if you picture a hillside um, or picture just like a whole hill, like the South side and the North side. Right. So if you have a Northwest wind and Mm -hmm. we, you and you and I had talked about this, if you have a Northwest wind and you want to hunt that in the morning, you need to hunt the North side of that hill up on the top because Mm -hmm. you're going to get the Northwest wind coming 
and it's going to be fairly consistent on the top of that ridge and you're going to get the thermals coming up. So they're not going to clash. They're going to go together. And those thermals will come up probably like two hours after first light, an hour and a half after first light. It's not right away because right away when you get in that tree and it's still dark, your thermals are still dropping. A lot of people just think thermals in the morning go up and that's not true at all until the sun really starts warming up the earth. So you want that pairing of the right wind with the right thermals when you're hunting these hillsides. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a huge learning curve. So, you know, if you, if you have a South hillside and a North hillside, then the wind coming out of the North and you want to hunt the morning, sit on the top of that hillside. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to hunt the, with a North wind in the evening, that's kind of just like, man, you're, you, you need to hunt the bottom of that South hillside so that the thermals come down and you're getting the wind. But sometimes that's just not the case because like you and I had talked about, if there is another hillside beyond that one, it'll catch in there and kind of cycle or yeah. like uh, tumble, I should say. It'll come up over the peak of the hillside that you're on. It'll drop down like you kind of, or it'll come up and over, skip right over your head hit the, mm-hmm. hit the hillside behind you and then cycle back down okay. that Those hillside and then come back and that North wind will all of a sudden be a South wind for you. Mm-hmm. And that is a very poor explanation on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I got to watch, you got to watch the film so they can see your hands doing all the right. Crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I know I need like a, I need like a, a whiteboard. Um, so yeah, if you guys got to go, you got to use on X here. What's that? You got to use on X here and do some video sharing or whatever screen sharing and some show some valleys and some ridges. Yeah, I guess I could. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I don't have that set up. I'm not going yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll make it into a YouTube video someday. There you go. Um, but essentially, yeah, if you could picture two, two hillsides, you know, side by side on a piece of paper, like you just draw them left and right side and then left and right side of these hillsides, like just two humps. If that wind's coming from the left, goes over that first hump, it's going to hit the second hump and then come back. It's going to hit the side of that second hump, come down around almost like, what would that look like? I mean, it looked like a wave, really. It looked like a wave, hit that second hump, come back down and around, come through the valley, and then run up the right side of that first hump. Probably. So, yeah. And then all of a sudden you'd be getting, like I said, you'd be on a North wind and you'd be <clears> a South wind like feel yeah. until that wind dies down in the evening. And then like, if you can get calm winds in the evening, then you're going to get thermal thermals are going to overtake the wind and you're just going to get a drop. Yeah. So like the night Parker and I went out when we saw like 10 deer, we had that shooter when we, when we were going into that spot, it was slightly due to indecisiveness, but slightly. <laughs> we were a little late in getting in there. I was very indecisive that night and where we wanted to sit, but we ended up sitting in a stand that we just call the ditch stand. And we sat for the last hour and a half. And if we would have gotten in there any earlier, the wind would have been stronger than the thermals and would have been blowing our scent. Like we were on the bottom of a hillside. <clears throat> And it would have been blowing our scent up that hillside, which is where our main shooting lanes are. Like 
if you can imagine it was a south wind blowing up that hillside when that south wind started to die down and got like six seven six five four miles per hour and we're down in this valley it really that wind is pretty much non-existent and the thermals started just sucking down once that sunset and with that last hour or so of light the mm-hmm. thermals just started sucking down right into the valley right into the creek and then we had absolutely no scent up above us and we even had a buck come in down below us too and he was kind of sniffing around but there's like a creek down there and you were like man that's got to be like a thermal wall because that buck came pretty damn close to us and he should have like really known that we were there and he didn't I mean he came to like 15 yards he kind of looked at us I think that was just a sight thing mm-hmm. but we were seeing bucks that in theory were downwind of us via thermals back to our left and they had absolutely no idea that we were there right. and that's just because those though that wind was non-existent we were already in the set and those thermals were going down the hill about i don't know 40 50 yards and then hitting that creek and just shooting straight down with the creek because the creek always has a wind going downhill like always 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 unless it's like and we had those we had those does come also from downwind right but they were on the other side of the creek and they were walking right into the wind it was like wow they should be smelling us but it was like you say that that creek just took our scent and shot it down the valley yeah so there's so that like so essentially what I'm, what I'm trying to say, there's a lot of things to go over here and I'm trying to, I'm kind of jumping around, I'm trying to organize it all. But when, when you have spots that are like, God, I keep getting swirling winds here. These swirling winds are all over the place. I can never get a good wind. I hate these swirling winds. Then hunt those spots. This, my light bulb was, I only hunt those spots now when there's no wind and I can bank on a thermal. So like when I shot at the buck that I missed, I was banking on that thermal all morning. Like it was technically a West wind, but for the first hour and a half of light, I had a thermal downhill pull and that was taking all my scent back to that Creek, which was a great set. Mm-hmm. Um, when about eight thirty nine o'clock, that wind started to pick up and get a little shifty on me. And I was thinking about getting down and I was like, ah, maybe I should just sit here. I don't know. Cause you always have that debate in your head. And then all of a sudden he's there. So then certainly by noon, I knew when I had sat after I shot and I'd sat there for a while, I knew hundred percent. My wind was shooting right up that hill. And I was just sitting there out of pure spite, (laughs) just like whatever. Um, so so yeah, if you have those really tough to get to spots, hunt them when you can bank on thermals mm-hmm. or like now how I'm going to set up the property um, or how I'm going to set up the tree stands are like essentially any spot that I want to hunt in the morning has to be good for an uplifting thermal. So any morning sit from now on is going to be like theoretically elevation wise above the trail that I want to hunt. That meaning that I'm only going to hunt it when the wind matches up with that thermal and pushes it up the hill with me. So they don't collide each other with each other. And then also like, so then the next question is, well, if you get in there at dark right away in the morning, your thermal is going to be sucking down. So the other big point there is I also only want to hunt those areas 
when I have a consistent wind early in the morning. So maybe eight miles per hour or greater. Right. Sure. And we've had plenty of those lately. Yeah. <laughs> Super windy days. Yeah. Um, so I think like one of my strategies going forward is, a, is essentially like there's a few stands on the property that I can only hunt with no wind. So, so those will be my stands from like six to eight 30 or 9. AM. And then at that time, when that wind starts to pick up, I'll already have pre-planned a spot to move to where the thermals and the wind are going to match. And I can figure out a, an entry and exit. And I will have like dual sits set up just so that I'm not, I'm not like burning out areas because I want to sit there. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. and I don't know if that's right or wrong, but cause I've never heard of anyone really planning that out to that extent. Mm. I mean, people sit multiple stands a day during the rut anyway, right. You know, in the pre-rut, but I think it's more of a, it's not necessarily for wind reasons. It's probably more for like, well, there aren't deer here reasons. <laughs> right. right. So I think your, your reasoning would be like to reduce your scent dispersion right in that my area. impact or my pressure or whatever you want to call it right it's not like you're it's not like you're burning up an area in the sense of like deer are coming through and spooking because of you and running away it's like you're getting ahead of that and beating the thermals and still hunting the same area but you just move however far yeah, yeah. exactly so i'm just yeah i'm just trying to not I mean, I don't do a whole lot of scent control and I'm just, I'm just too stinky to do that. And I do too much. And it's just not like, we don't have showers down at our, at our properties or anything. We're going to have a shower at the new shows, yeah. but yeah. Um, like, it's just, it's just overall like too much work. And we have an Ozon, like you have an Ozonics that we were running. Mm -hmm. um, were we running it that night? No, we weren't. I don't think we were. No, no, I don't. No. I don't like it because that was a super calm night. So yeah. we were we were banking on thermals, I remember. And yeah. the one thing I hate about the Ozonics, even though it's probably when it works best, is when it's calm. And like if you have just a slight wind, like even just a thermal wind. But the thing I hate about it is like it makes it's. It, I mean, it makes a noise, right? Uh -huh. When it's producing ozone. And when you're when you're sitting in the stand for a few hours, it kind of just becomes white noise to you. You don't really hear it anymore. But then you go at the end of the hunt and you shut it off and you just listen to how quiet everything is around you. It's kind of like, oh, maybe <laughs> they did hear that. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. When we, when I was hunting with Nick, he was running his and it took me like, I had to do like double takes on it. Like, what yeah. is that noise that I'm hearing? Yeah. And that was, it was the Ozonics and we never had when we were running it, I'm not saying it works or it doesn't work, but what we never had the opportunity to test it out. Like we never had, I mean, I just try to set up the stands so that like, it's very unlikely in the first place that deer are going to get downwind of right. us. Right. So, but mm -hmm. yeah, that was the, that was the big takeaway was, was using those thermals and then using those winds. So essentially mornings are up high mm -hmm. um, where, where we have a partnering wind and, um, evenings are down low where we have a partnering wind. Sure. Like that's essentially like how I'm setting up the property. And one mm. of the crazy things was, and it was, it was awful. Like I hate it, but it was good at the same time was the last three weekends we had South winds. It was South or Southwest 
every mm-hmm. single weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And mm-hmm. I have to enter my property from the South. Mm-hmm. So like the second I walk into the property, like my wind's going everywhere. Yeah. Like, so I have to figure out creative ways to do that. And, and one of them is just like, F it. I'm going through, like, mm-hmm. I'm just going right down the gut. Cause we have a power line that runs through the property. So I can go right up the gut and get on the other side and then loop back around from the North and drop in. Like that was, that was essentially my strategy. I did get permission from the neighbor to the North to go in there, but he also said like, yeah, I have people who lease this, so (laughs) you can do that, but just don't do it all the time. And, and definitely like, don't hunt like the border because they do have like tree stands right there. And if they're seeing you park there and then also you hunting right next to their stands, like that would be a huge pain. And I'd probably have to like, stop letting you hunt there. But he was like, but for now, yeah, go for it. No worries. So anyway, one of the, one of the mornings I hunted, I got up on the North Hill side and dropped and then went, I don't know, 500 yards East and then dropped back into a bowl. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy because I started going down into that bowl and I made it about 10 yards and my thermals just started sucking straight down into that bowl. And I was like, and and up on the top, it was all in my face. So it was like mm-hmm. that line that you were talking about. So I backed out and I sat up on top and then I waited, you know, 10, 15 minutes, went back in there and I could make it an extra five, six steps before the, oh, yeah. at my back, the back of my neck. So I backed out five, six steps. Yeah. So I like slowly crept my way in there. And the, the craziest thing was I got to a, uh, a point on in this it's a big bowl and i was coming down the one of the points of this bowl so to my right i kind of dropped off a little bit and to my left i dropped off a little bit Mm -hmm. and on this point i was getting a wind in my face at a certain at a at the at the elevation i wanted to set up at this was where i wanted i wanted to be at this elevation i just needed to find clear shooting lanes down Cause I could shoot the trail. I knew the trails were at like 20 yards and 40 yards and 50 yards. So I wanted, I didn't want to burn that 20 yard trail is the most used. So I didn't want to burn that. So I wanted to shoot that. And like, you know, if they, they came out at 40 and 50 yards, maybe they present a shot, maybe they don't, but I knew that was like where I wanted to be. So I'm on this point and I look to my right and there's a great tree about 15 yards and I, and I can see a decent shooting lane out in front of that tree to that 20 yard trail. And where I'm at right now, I don't have a great shooting lane. So I take like three, four steps. I dropped down maybe like, I don't know, five feet in elevation and three, four steps to my right. And my wind just started sucking right back down. So I had to back up and get onto that point again. And the wind was in my face and we're talking 10 feet of difference yeah. here. Yeah. So again, like to get to that tree took me almost another like 15, 20 minutes. By the time I got to the tree where I wanted to be, it got light at six 15. I got there at seven o'clock. That's yeah. how long it took me. I didn't. And, and I, and I was in the zone and I knew I had a good, a good um, wind and my scent wasn't going down there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, <clears throat> like I wasn't in a killing position. So I know that I know no deer came through there in that time frame. 
but it just took me until seven o'clock to freaking get to the tree that I wanted to set up. And that was like, to me, that was extremely eye opening Mm -hmm. in the sense that even though I'm at very similar elevation, because I went deeper into the bowl and I wasn't on the point of that bowl, Mm -hmm. the thermals were different. Yeah. So, I mean, hindsight, like there is a tree on that point and that's where I'm going to be setting up in. And Mm -hmm. this spring, um, I'm going to try to enlist your help and go in there and cut out some lanes from that tree on that point mm-hmm. so that I can get in there earlier and get set, set up earlier. Right. Right. You know, you know, people like for people that find spots like that too, like just mental notes is like you say is, so if you can't drop off that point until seven thirty eight in the morning, just register that as a mid morning type spot. You know, maybe you don't hunt that until the first week of November when, you know, you'd be expecting to see deer kind of mid to late morning. And very true. other other than that, you know, you just stay out. Or you'd hunt only the point, like you say, if you're going to hunt there in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting because, like, up on the top of the ridge where I originally started, it was, like, a 10-mile-an-hour wind. Mm-hmm. And for, like, yeah. every step you took down, it, like, decreased a half mile per hour. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was nothing, and then it was just shooting yeah. downhill. And I know – I mean, I eventually, I got set up in there at seven o'clock and I, I sat there until like, I don't know, 11 or something, didn't see a deer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, you know, I didn't have a camera over on that East side of the farm all year. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a camera over there. Um, it's just, a, it's kind of like the very edge. Like we have a sanctuary on our, you can call it a sanctuary, whatever you want, a place that I don't hunt and there aren't any trails. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably... I don't know, 200 yards. No, it's like a hundred yards by like, I don't know, 80 yards or something like that. Kind of this one area backs up to a cliff. Like you just can't get in there. Um, And then the fence line about like 60, 70 yards from the fence line, I start hunting that like area. And um, last year there was some great bucks in there. And um, so after, after that morning hunt, uh, at a, like 11 o'clock, I, instead of going all the way up and back around and everything, because I didn't see any deer, I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll just drop down through here and I'll kind of quick scout it and then just get out of here, you know? Mm-hmm. And on my way down, like I found three scrapes and the last one was massive, like four feet wide by three feet wide. I mean, it was a giant scrape yeah. on the ground and I was like, all right, so there are good deer in here. They just weren't <laughs> in here today. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so like that, I mean, yeah, it's, that was one of the, that was like, you know, kind of that scout, but just working my way through there, but just that, that wind in general. And, you know, I had my puffer with me too, and that was super helpful. And I think like, if any of you guys out there listening to this are hunting, like I know in Pennsylvania, they hunt a lot of mountainous terrain and mm-hmm. I'm sure they come across the same things, you know, mm-hmm. we have our in Western Wisconsin, and eastern minnesota eastern iowa we have our ridges and our valleys western illinois um and i you know down to arkansas missouri they have the big ridges and valleys as well and it's just i i think it's a lot of experience but at the same time if you can try to think about um think about the wind and how it's going to interact with the with the terrain kind of like thinking moves ahead because when wind, when wind generally comes over a hillside, 
it doesn't like gravity doesn't affect it as much as you think. Like, it's not like going over the hillside and dropping straight back down and then back up the other hillside. You know, it's, it's lighter. I know this is a stupid, this is not stupid. This is dumb, but it's, it's lighter than water. So it's not like water when it goes over a rock is going to fall right over the other side of a rock. Right. Um, when air goes over a rock, it keeps going on that trajectory and then slowly starts to fall back down. Right. So like if it goes over a hillside, it's going to stay on that trajectory until it hits maybe the next hillside. And then it might catch that hillside. And like we were talking about earlier, sink yeah. and loop back around. Wave. And that's how you get those swirly winds in those yeah. bowls. Yeah. Yeah. I think like some of the like generalizations to kind of take into account too, are obviously like weather. I mean, if you have a sunny day versus a cloudy day, that sun's going to heat the ground up faster. Those thermals are going to start rising, you know, earlier in the mornings. If it's yeah. a cloudy day, it might take an extra half hour, maybe even an hour, you know, things like that. And then also like the direction of which way the hillside's facing. The sun's rising in the east. Your east facing slopes are going to get hit first. Those slopes, the thermals are going to start rising before, say, your west facing slopes. Those are going to stay shaded until you know potentially even midday depending on how yeah hilly terrain you're kind of hunting right and then vice versa the east facing slopes are going to get shaded sooner. sooner in the evening and the thermals will start dropping sooner on those slopes versus like a west facing slope so it's just like you know if you're if you're checking out new areas or trying to figure out how thermals could be playing a part on just any kind of general property those are the kind of the more things. So those are some of the things that I guess are going to be more consistent. Yeah. That makes sense. But then, I mean, you got to get in there and see, okay, <laughs> what's it going to do with a West wind versus a North wind? Because those, I mean, the wind direction is typically, you know, trumping at least within, you know, reason, typically trumping thermals, but thermals right, definitely yeah. tie into the winds with, you know, especially when you're elevated in stand. So you got to get boots on the ground kind of timing and or scouting and mm-hmm. see what it's doing the hard parts you got to be there for four different wind directions at least <laughs> right to understand it all yeah. yeah or at least like come up with an idea and i know like right now just based on the the sits that we've had with south winds and southwest winds i can pretty much predict okay it's not good for a south wind so i mean a northeast wind, which mm-hmm. is what we have for gun opener, is going to be killer on this double, the double yeah. stand with the mock scrape. Like, I know it's going to be primo. It should work yeah. out great in theory. Yeah. So I'm going to go sit it on the gun opener and see what the hell happens. But, mm-hmm. you know, the the other important thing to remember there, and this is something that Aaron Warburton and I talked a little bit about on the podcast, and we talked a little bit about it offline too, is that it is more valuable to sit that stand for an hour with a good wind than two hours with an iffy wind and then a good wind. Yeah. So I do think we would, I think we would have, it would have been much more likely that those deer would have busted us if we hadn't been indecisive and gotten to that ditch stand sooner. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, the, the thing about that, that is like if you get into the stand and it's a bad wind when you're in it you get in it and you're like oh crap this sucks pull out go to an area 
that mm-hmm. has a good win, whether it's 20 yards or a hundred yards or something like that. And if it's stand, you really want to sit, just sit on the ground and just wait it out wait. and yeah. wait for, wait for those thermals to start falling, wait for that wind to die down and then go get in it. Right. But don't, don't let your scent just disperse out there and go, well, the deer aren't coming for another 45 minutes. So it won't sure. matter. Yeah. In reality, your scent is going to go out there and it's going to kind of like stick to trees and and brush and they're going to smell it. Like Mm -hmm. if if you were there 15 minutes ago, they're going to smell it. So Mm -hmm. get in there, figure it out. If it's good, stay. If it's bad, get out and wait for those thermals. Like I said, it's better to hunt it for an hour on a good wind than two hours on an iffy wind and then a good wind. For sure. Um, Yeah. And like you say, you might even, you might only need to move 20, 30 yards. You might still be over, you might be overlooking the same area. And in some cases you might be able to use the same shooting lane. Yeah. It's like you have nothing to lose by getting the wind right in situations like that and just give it that half hour, 45 minutes and then go down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was, I wasn't, I still am like a fan of nose jammer, but it has not it has not done the same for me this year as it has in the past. Like I have been busted plenty of times with nose jammer and I haven't, I haven't gotten ozonics and I talked to junior runs in ozonics and he hunts a swirly basin and he sat there four days in a row. Mm-hmm. And he was, I was like, does your ozonics actually work? And he said, it will work about 90% of the time. So, I mean, 80 to 90% of the time he's like, yeah. it'll, I'll still get busted but mm-hmm. it definitely helps. And it sometimes it stops them just long enough to get a shot. Exactly. And so, that's, I think kind of all like, like if you had to put a price on like, what's that worth to you? You know, right. like that's where the debate starts. Like, like on, on this past Saturday hunting with Dylan, I mean, we were just using nose jammer. The wind was everywhere. It was horrible. Right. And we had a tank come in and I called him in. So of course he's coming in looking. He's kind of, kind of trying to work the wind, but the wind was so swirly that it's like, I don't know how, I don't know how he could have been working the wind. I don't know how we could have had wind to our advantage at all. Like it was just everywhere. But he got inside of thirty yards, and like the whole time, right? I'd feel the wind hit me in the left side, and then all of a sudden it's hit me in the back, and it's in my right side. Like it was everywhere. And he got to 30, 30 yards, maybe even a little closer, 27, 26 yards. And he stopped and you could see it then, you know, he kind of stuck his head up, licking his nose. And it was like, yep, here it is. He's busted. Then you start thinking about it and it's like, well, I mean, he obviously got a whiff of us at that point or he, he sat there for a while and then he slowly walked away. If we didn't have nose jammer, maybe he would have bolted as soon as he got a puff. Right. Right. But we, I used a lot of nose jammer in that set just because the wind was so bad. Dylan, I mean, pretty stinky could, anyway. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> but that's one where, you know, if he was broadside and in a spot that I could have got a shot, you know, that could have been all it took in order to get that shot. So then you got to wonder, like, did the nose jammer actually work? I mean, you can't, you can't expect it to be 100% effective, right? right? But it did its job in not spooking a very – very mature deer and kept him in the area long enough. I just had no shooting opportunity where he was. Right. So yeah. No, topic, yeah. <laughs> What's that? 
random topic, but no, no, things no, to, it's things I, to consider. It ties, into, ties into scent because the whole thing is like scent control. I mean, that's the topic, right? Right. Um, so then my, my question to you is like, why, if we're talking about like, okay, only haunt stands like this and only haunt stands like that to keep from those swirly winds, why mm-hmm. are you going to those stands? Yeah, they're just in, it's, I, I swear my two best stands are in the worst spots for the wind. And I think that's why they're my best stands. I mean, the deer, they got to know it. I mean, they're there every day, right? Or yeah, at least a lot more often than I am. And I mean, the trail cameras show it. Whenever I sit there, it shows it. You just see a lot of deer and a lot of mature deer. And it's hard to hunt. And I think yeah. that's, I really think that's why they're there because they get that swirl effect where it's, it's, you know, they're, they're pretty large hillsides. I'd say they're 200 yards of trees. So it's, it's hard to get them to funnel right by you. You see a lot of deer, but you don't always get shots, but when they get close, you know, you got to just Hope to God that they that they don't get a puff, and that's all it takes. You know, they get a puff and they turn around and go the other way. Right. But like I say, I think that's you know, there it's kind of the ideal. You know, between two bedding areas, kind of right on the edge of one, and then another one's like 250 yards away. I mean, it's just that classic kind of rut area. I just have not found a tree in there yet that doesn't swirl. Right, a a tree or a wind, and that's one of those experience things. Because maybe at some point you're gonna get in there on like some super odd, yeah, like like southeast, southeast, right, calm southeast, and it's like that is the ticket. Yeah, is it? I mean, do you know that or no? No, I have no clue. Like, (laughs) well, you know, you got you got to figure those areas are good for five days in the season, right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, you got to deal, you got to play with the cards you're dealt and kind of, yeah. kind of roll the dice. I mean, to a degree. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you just got to get in there and that's the hard part. We almost need multiple stands kind of peppered throughout the hillside and just go sit in each one of them and be like, yep, this one's the most consistent i'm gonna go with <laughs> yeah i got fat five stands in like a 60 yard line yeah literally i mean going what diagonally up the hill that's what it would be it's like which one of these is gonna be the ticket <laughs> right yeah now they don't know which one to look at when they come yeah your yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> just i just need a saddle there we go it can be more more uh, mobile <laughs> yeah there you go yeah God, I know. And that's one of the things we talked about is just like going in there in the spring when we go in there to do work or to hang up stands or to reset cameras or to pull cameras or whatever is going in there. And I mean, I did it a little bit to an extent. Um, The last day that we hunted that I hunted was Saturday. While it was raining, it was a southeast wind, which is pretty odd for Mm -hmm. Wisconsin. I mean, it's pretty Mm -hmm. rare to get a southeast wind. So I actually went and checked other areas to get the wind data on those areas i went and sat them for 20 30 minutes and then i moved i I went and sat three different spots just to see if the wind was good in that area or not and Mm. how it was interacting because those areas those it's so rare to get an east wind that some of those spots are i was thinking are only good for an east wind 
Mm. Um, so I was like, well, maybe this will be good. And, and two of them turned out good. One of them turned out terrible. So like I got in there and I was like, yeah, I got to run. <laughs> like I got to get out of here. It's not yeah. what I was thinking. Um, yeah. but at least gave me that data. So now I know, okay, next year, if the rut or, or pre-rut kicks around and I got a Southeast wind, well, shit, I got a I got a setup that I can get into you know, yeah. for this. And it's, it's one of those that one of those winds that are so odd that I'll probably only sit that stand once or twice a year. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's even better for the deer because they won't have a clue. Cause right. you might not even have to put a stand in there. You know, you just have a tree kind of yeah. prepped and you for do a hang. Saddle, on yeah. So or you don't do have to burn up a stand. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways to use that, but I think that also plays into like spring scouting. I know I talk about spring scouting on the podcast <laughs> all the time and, and all the, all the deer hunters that I talk to on here that are, I mean, pretty much everyone that I've talked to really is like spring scouting, spring scouting, spring scouting, spring scouting. Mm-hmm. And when you go out there to scout, keep like, figure out the wind that day, go hit the spots that you think might be good for that wind and double check them. Mm-hmm. And that's, and make sure the next time you go out, say you go out there on a Saturday and it's a North wind and next week, there's a South wind on Sunday. Make sure you put in some time on, on Sunday to go check other spots with the yeah. South wind and see how they work mm-hmm. and just getting that data beforehand. So you don't have to learn it during season. Like I am is yeah. very beneficial. Right. <laughs> right. Just go out there with a puffer or some little milkweed, whatever yeah. seeds and see what it does. I mean, yeah, it doesn't take is, but a couple minutes, you know, dude, that's an awesome point. And that's one of the big things with, with the milkweed that the hunting public does all the time. And a lot of people are doing now is like, you can really see what's happening, not only with the wind, but also the thermals and where everything's traveling. Well, you see beyond, you know, with the puffer, it's really easy to see, okay, what's my wind doing right here? Or maybe out to 10 yards, the little milkweed thing. It's like, okay, what happens after 10 yards? And you'd be yeah. shocked. I mean, you could have... <laughs> You could have a wind going straight down the hill and it hits a line and takes a hard 90 and goes a yeah. different direction. It's kind of like, whoa. Yep. <laughs> Didn't see I, that coming. Yeah. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the awesome things about yeah. that milkweed. Yep. And Parker and I were we were joking, like, all right, let's just come out here with some smoke bombs and just <laughs> some of those industrial grade smoke bombs yeah. and let's just light them from the tree stands and see yep. what the hell happens <laughs> you never know right you don't and i know that'd be a fun one that'd be a fun video to make all right like here's what happens on a north wind in a south facing hillside in a valley with a creek boom yeah. at 8 a.m <laughs> right yeah at 8 a.m and then at 9 a.m and then at 10 a.m because it's going to be different pretty much yeah. though, every hour yeah that's that's where it gets tough right like yeah. you got you got your morning spots your evening spots you know kind of as a generalization but then within even those two segments it's like well you're gonna have either the first hour or the last hour of the day could be different than the rest of it so it's like exactly it's tough man it is it is Something, and I mean, like i said we had tough. a few days this year that were and I think a lot of people did across the country is 15 to 25 to 30 mile an hour winds, you know, and those are, those are uncommon. I mean, they really are uncommon when you really look at it during the hunting season. Um, But I mean, they were doing like those, when I would get a Southwest wind and 20 mile an hour uh, wind, it was acting different than a Southwest wind at eight miles an hour. 
Oh yeah. Like they were just, they were, mm-hmm. they were blowing my scent in different areas. So that's another thing to keep in mind and not to add more layers onto this, but it's more complex than a lot of people think um, when it comes to these ridges and valleys and figuring them out. And, and a lot of people have problems. Like when I post on my Instagram, like, man, these damn swirly winds, I'll get like 10 to 15 people that chime in that are like, dude, me too. How, like, <laughs> I hate these things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, how the deer get big though it is right Mm. and if you can figure out those areas where you are like literally like feet outside of their scent cone that's those are the w's yep they think the wind is in their favor and you have it just beat right or like if it just puffs off a little bit the wrong way you lose (laughs) but you want to have it just right (laughs) yeah those are the money spots and there's not not many of them in existence but you know when you find them i should say they're they're very difficult to find (laughs) yes that is that is the problem they're very difficult to find yeah yeah um but uh but yeah i think so i think we've covered that anything else on that you know what's interesting is the the two mature bucks that i ran into this year both of them had the wind at their back Okay. Okay. So that was a big part of my spreadsheet this year is I just wanted to try to like observe that, right? Like see, is there a pattern? You know, all the old timers will tell you, oh, the big bucks walk into the wind all the time. You know, that's all they do. And it's like, well, if that's all they did, you'd kill them every year. Right. So (laughs) early in the season, I should say literally until this last weekend, I would say like for sure over three quarters of the deer movement I saw was walking with the wind. And that was little bucks, big bucks, does, everything walking with the wind. And then this last weekend is when I really noticed it. I mean, I only saw three does all weekend and like 16 bucks. (laughs) I think 90% of the bucks were walking into the wind all of a sudden. And I think it's just, you know, a scent checking thing. They're checking out areas, different bedding areas. That's just for reference. That's the second week of November. Yeah. Sorry. The weekend of the 15th, essentially 14th. So, I mean, they're, they were on their feet big time. Those were for me, nowhere to be found. (laughs) I think they were probably just sick of being, you know, harassed, but, uh, every or almost every buck I saw was working into the wind Hmm. that small time frame right just that last week but but prior to that it was all with the wind and I don't have the data but I just I can say the two bucks that I had encounters with both the times the wind was at their back Mm -hmm. and certainly the one that I missed 100% he was walking with the wind um and then the one that I just ran into that nice 10 point I, he stared at me. We we had a staring contest for probably a minute. It seemed like 10, but it was probably a minute yeah, in reality. Yeah. And the wind was just right. It was in my face the whole time. Right. And he just right. didn't know what I was. And he was with a doe and there were three other bucks around two small hmm. ones. And that big one in the background, which I think was the one that I missed that G2 buck. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just it, it's just it's just interesting because, like you say, everybody like all the old timers and and everybody says that deer walk into the wind. Mm-hmm. And your theory on it, which we've discussed, is that 
they walk with the wind because then they can smell anything coming up from behind them to get them. Right. That's right? The they can see and hear everything out in front of them and they can smell everything from behind them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's my theory at least. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Beg it for what it is. <laughs> right. And you know, and I haven't, I was really hoping to get some data on this this year and I just, I wasn't able to, but I was thinking about it in the stand in the sense that um, the bucks that I saw. So like there was, there were a couple trails in a stand that I was in where the bucks could go. Um, <clears throat> how do I explain this? Like I was hunting that the, the Southwest side where mm-hmm. it cliffs out and there is, there's a tra- there's, there's three trails I'm on a hillside that's probably 150 yards long. Okay. And I'm on, I'm 50 yards from the bottom. So there's a hundred yards above me that the deer can work on, but they like to travel in that 50 yards on the bottom. But if they like, and I have a South wind and that South wind is coming from the bottom to them. So they're only giving themselves 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards of wind in their favor coming up from the bottom where they could travel the top of that ridge and they could smell everything down below them. You know what I mean? So why are they, why are they traveling the bottom of that ridge when they could be traveling the top and getting the full 140 yards of it? And Mm. I understand that they don't want to skyline themselves. So that's cool. Well, maybe only spend, maybe only travel the top a hundred yards, you know, and don't, and give yourself 40 yards of clearance. why aren't they doing that because that's what i anticipated them doing so they could smell everything down below them and they're not they're smelling the the bottom 20 yards or 30 yards and Mm. i'm i'm able to sit right above them and be able to watch them come through and i had three bucks three bucks over the last couple weekends use the exact same trail and i've had none go get up above me Mm. um So it was interesting to me. And what I wanted to figure out was people always say like hunt the downwind side of a bedding area so that the bucks will come around and smell that and go. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the, that's, that's the fear I wanted to test because I feel like it's not a whole lot of data, but I feel like the deer travel the routes they're going to travel regardless of the wind they've kind of already pre pre-picked a a travel route for that day and where they're going to go and they just go that way and and if it happens to coincide with the downwind if this trail happens to coincide with a downwind area of a bedding area it cool it works out but -hmm. if it doesn't i don't think they go i'm not going to go on that trail and i don't think like if you picture a circle and, and the trail runs on the north, the north end of that circle and the circles, the bedding area. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like they would, in theory, they would want a south wind coming out of that bedding area right into their face when they come around the top. If they get a north wind, I don't think they drop down below that bedding area and circle around the bottom side. If there is no trail, I think they just take the trail. And they yeah. just go, ah, I didn't smell anything. I'll go, I'll go investigate and literally go in with their eyes and ears yep. and go, go For right sure. in there. For sure. Yeah. So, I, 
like the thing is, right? We're not, we're not, at least where we're at, we don't get a mile long valley all the same direction that a deer, you know, that has 50 different bedding areas along one valley and the deer with a one, one specific wind direction, a deer can go and check all those bedding areas, right? We get north, south, east, west, every direction there's valleys going. It's, it's river bottom, right? Yeah. Old, old river bottom. So, I mean, there's going to be hillsides where, yeah, the wind works perfect for them to scent check a bedding area. And those hillsides, when the wind is perfect for it, I feel like are typically pretty solid in the rut, at least. We're like, you, you'll probably see good activity there, but you're going to see other hillsides where the wind just doesn't make sense, right? And deer are still traveling through it. They have to. I mean, to get from point A to point B, they just right. kind of have to. And I think that's probably the bigger thing that you're seeing is just like, they're just going through it to get to the next spot. And if, if it happens to be a bedding area, yeah, they'll go, they might plow right through the middle of that bedding area and see if there's, you know, there could be ground scent surrounding it. There could be anything. Right. And like, they're just going through it because there's no other option. Yeah. So in, in that, in that sense, I prefer rather because a bedding area like on L property can be anything from one acre to 15 acres right mm. depending on how thick it is and all that jazz yeah. it could be a quarter acre yeah it could <clears throat> um so my like my thought on that is i would rather hunt the pinches that kind of come close to that area like the funnels mm-hmm. yeah than the downwind side of a bedding area mm-hmm. just because like reg- if they have to travel this area regardless of the wind like then I can then I can sit it on a south wind and if they're going from yep. point A to point B I'm going to get them and I have I the wind in my favor. Whereas yeah. if I sit a bedding area they might and I it's a south wind and I want to like okay I need to sit on the north side of this bedding area. I'm 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 depending on them wanting to use the yes. wind to their advantage yep. versus them having to travel this area. No exactly. A, a need versus a want in that scenario. For sure. For sure, I agree with that. Yeah, and I, it's still a theory that I'm, um, I'm baking. I'm, Mm -hmm. I, it's still in the oven for me personally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm still kind of thinking about it, but it's just something that I noticed, and I was just like, why, why are, why are you doing this to yourself? Because I, there were, there were two young bucks that I certainly could have killed, and one mature buck assuming i didn't miss let's just throw that out there assuming i didn't miss two young bucks i certainly could have killed and then one that um that scooted by us at 50 yards when our tree stand was a little bit further up the hill Mm -hmm. um which is a which is another point that i wanted to make is like november 8th i sat i had a buck and a doe a younger buck probably two and a half years old eight and a doe sit in a thicket maybe like 20 yards in diameter and they were there for four and a half hours. Mm -hmm. They never laid down constantly staring at each other, walk, taking a few steps. The buck made, I don't know, 15 different rubs. And, and it was, it was amazing to me. That's the first time I ever like really witnessed like the quote unquote lockdown, like where they just, they ain't moving. Mm-hmm. And I sat there until a guy on a four wheeler came by and, and spooked him off from the neighbors. 
mm-hmm. like and thankfully he came by because i was getting hungry and there i wasn't seeing anything except for them sitting right in front of me and yeah. i was sitting there like god this doe if she is hot she is just gonna bring in the deer like they mm-hmm. should be coming in and in mm-hmm. four and a half hours i saw nothing else <laughs> yeah yeah to that point i've had like i mean i've had hot does well I, I assume they're hot dough. You have a dough with a buck right on her butt, you know, mm. go into a bedding area and do that same thing. You know, I don't sit there and watch them, but you see them disappear and not come out. And you'd see it. Yeah. You'd think you'd have all these other bucks coming and piling in there after, but I've had better luck sitting in those areas, kind of those funnel or more funnel areas or big transition areas where a hot dough will come through and it'll literally be just like a parade after her. one buck, two buck, three buck, four bucks. I've, I, there was one I remember in, in the wet pond. I had one doe come through at like noon, right? Mouth open. She had been running from who knows where, probably the far corner of the property. And I think I saw 13 bucks file the same path and throughout the next hour. I mean, it took, it's not like it was a couple minutes. It was a full right. hour. But they're on the same trail, nose down, following her through. It's like, huh. damn. <laughs> yeah, dude. It, yeah, that's the power of power of that estrus, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's like crazy. one of those things that we we kept saying to ourselves when we were hunting is like, we'd we'd go, we'd get up in the morning, we'd hang out for whatever an hour, we'd go our separate ways in the tree stands, and we'd reconvene in the evening at like seven o'clock. And we'd always say to each other, like, when we're in it, we're in it. When we're not, we're not. That's yeah. what it was seeming like. Like, if you were yeah. on a, if you were near a hot no, man, you're on fire. If you ain't, you <laughs> ain't seeing shit. Yeah. Right. People come back, be like, man, I had a great day. Then guy sitting 200 yards away from him, like, I didn't see a single deer. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that lends itself to the theory of, I, and I, and I've got to try, I want to try this next year, but I was telling you about it is like ice fisherman whole hop, <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know, you drop your lure down. If there's fish there, they're there. If they're not, they're not in your whole hop. Yeah. And I feel like that is a tactic that can be, uh, deployed in the whitetail woods very mm-hmm. specifically with mm-hmm. very proper, uh, and very specific entry and exit routes to whole yeah. hop the property to find a hot mm-hmm. doe. Mm-hmm. and to sit a stand for two hours and move and sit a stand mm-hmm. for two hours and move and i'm not that is another theory i'm not telling anyone to do that that is another theory yeah. that is very <laughs> much like in the drawing board yeah but i'm definitely going to do it next year i'll probably there will be a day where i sit five stands at least yeah, yeah. give me no, i think my, keep talking no i think the the biggest thing that i've kind of come to conclude at least during the rut is the best spot that you can be is just out there in the woods somewhere like yes the worst thing you can do is go home and take a nap you know or go go in for oh it's just going to be an hour lunch you know or whatever at 11 or noon i i can't tell you how many times i've done that in the past been at at the cabin eating lunch and you look outside and there's a buck tearing across the cornfield hot on a dough on a cornfield right it's not even in the woods you gotta wonder what's going on in the woods you know all around like the best spot you can be is just in your tree stand and my opinion on 
I think there is two strategies. There's the hop strategy and the sit, don't move your butt all day strategy, right? I prefer, I don't, I don't have a preference on which one of those, as long as I think the bigger thing is get in a tree stand that has well-trimmed shooting lanes. I don't like to go do ground and pound this time of year. And I hang and hunts. I go very specific in trees that I hang and hunt every year. I don't try like trying new spots because I can't tell you how many times you have a deer come through 20 yards, 25 yards, and just can't get a shot. You have no shooting lanes. And that to me is even more frustrating than, you know, not even seeing one. It's like I had them right there and that's what killed me is no shooting lanes. So I like to be in the woods, have nice lanes and not, not, I usually trim pretty narrow lanes, just enough to, you know, just enough to stay hidden. If you can get a bigger lane this time of year, it's better because they might not stop the first time you've grown at them or they might take an extra step and then look. Like if you got one coming through on a mission, might have to grunt pretty loud to get him to pump the brakes, you know? Yeah, no, I agree in that. And to that end, I, there was one day Nick and I set up a stand. We trimmed out lanes. We got in the stand and mm-hmm. we saw four deer come through, through those lanes that we had trimmed out. Yeah. Um, it, during the rut, like trimming out lanes is not, these deer are coming from hundreds of yards away. Yeah. They're not hearing you. The other no. big thing that I always like to think about during the rut is I'm not hunting like during, during the early season and the late season, I'm kind of hunting where the deer are. And I'm trying to get to where the deer are during the rut. I'm trying to hunt where the deer are going to be. Yeah. So like, it's a different strategy in that sense Mm -hmm. in that they're not, they're definitely not within a hundred yards of me all the time. Right. Like in early season, you can kind of set up close to a bedding area and they can be within a hundred yards of you the whole time. Right. Where I'm setting up. No, they're not. I'm banking on them just running through between Mm -hmm. bedding areas, checking one to the other. Right. And the hard part is, you know, one day you might have an awesome day, see 20 deer from the stand and you're sitting there wondering what to do the next day. It's like, Oh, I got to go back there. It was so good. And you go there and you don't see a single deer. It's like, it can change just that fast. I mean, you're either like, you're either in it or you're not, and it's not going to be consistent. So you just got to be flexible. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're at like, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes or something like that. Let's cover. Let's not cover. Let's not. I mean, this one's, I think this is too. Well, okay. Let's just cover gun season real quick. All right. Yeah. For me, gun season, like not doing drives, like throw drives out of it. Okay. I'm looking, I'm looking to sit pretty much all day if I can. Um, usually I don't, but if I can, I will. Cause a lot, it's the, it's the end of the rut pretty much. So there are still going to be bucks moving midday if you yeah. can help it. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think that like all of a sudden deer hear gunshots and then they're like, Oh my God, it's gun season. We're done. Like everybody hide. I don't think it happens that quick. I think it happens. Like, I think you have the whole first day for them to really kind of figure out what the hell is going on. Man, the past, the past three weekends, it's been like sight in weekend out by us. Yeah. Like everybody all around us just ripping guns off. It sounds, I mean, there's more shooting than opening weekend sometimes. <laughs> and you look at, you know, I, I'm watching deer while, so while the neighbor's sighting his gun and they don't even pick their head up. 
Right. They just like, don't even care. Yeah. They don't care until they get shot at. <laughs> exactly. That's what I think it is. I think that depend that that makes a whole hell of a lot more sense than than people yeah. thinking that they just like disappear because you right. might go out and you might not see a deer for the first four hours or three hours or whatever. Then you call it quits, yeah. you know, and then you make it out the last hour and you don't see deer and you're like, ah, oh, it was a terrible gun season, blah, blah, blah. You know, cause you yeah. only went out for the first day and then you got drunk that night. Didn't feel like going out Sunday morning and yeah, slow. Home, right. <laughs> it's pretty much the, the Wisconsin way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but if you're really in it and that is fun, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I, I am definitely fully on board with doing that. Um, <laughs> but if you're really out there trying to kill a good buck, like, man, just like you said earlier, that 10 to two time frame where everybody heads in yeah. is the time that, that you're likely to see deer, not in just the sense of um, like deer move deer moving on their own, but also people pushing them around, you mm-hmm. know, especially if you're on public like man Mm -hmm. especially if you're on public like saturday's calling for rain drizzle people are going to make it two to three hours in the woods and they're going to start getting out and they're going to start pushing deer around or they're going to do drives or whatever it is Uh, so i think it's important that if you're really trying to kill a mature deer um in gun season you sit the whole first day i I do think that's important and the bigger thing too is like i mean just with scent right like all of a sudden there's five times or 10 times more people in the woods. Yeah. And if you know where, like if your neighbors have big box blinds that you can see, they don't care which way the wind's blowing. They're just sitting in that block box blind that day. If the wind is bad for that blind, you can totally use that to your advantage. If deer are coming downwind of that, they're smelling them. They might change their pattern and head, you know, with the wind, or they might turn around and go into the wind. If that, that if you can get in a spot where that benefits you yeah sometimes that's what it takes yeah oh yeah for sure try to use your neighbors to your advantage Mm -hmm. certainly i mean i do i do every year it's it's a large part of my strategy right i use my neighbors and my dad because i know my dad's gonna make it like an hour and a half and then he's gonna want to walk so i put him i try to put him in an area where he can walk out and push deer to me. <laughs> exactly. And then again, when he's walking back in, in the evening, you know, yeah, two hours before dark or whatever. It's exactly. like, get, get ready. My dad's, my dad's <laughs> not, not nearly as bad as your dad. Your dad's like, well, boys, I'm starting my drive at about, uh, it gets light at six 30. So I'll start walking about seven. Um, where are you, where's everyone sitting? And when I come yeah. past you, you might as well just hop out of the stand and come with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then again, that's a big mistake too, because those are the times where all of a sudden you look back and it's like, Oh, there's a freaking deer running right through where I was. It's like, oh, right. Exactly. Oh man. So yeah, gun, gun season. I mean, sit all day, bring your food, bring your lunch. Um, even in the rain, like it's supposed to be drizzly rainy. I mean, you had some pretty good success, like seeing great bucks. You had those three bucks all in a row midday yeah. on Saturday, come through in the drizzle rain, high yeah. wind. Mm-hmm. They're, they're still moving it's not going to stop them yeah if you um, it, it i feel like the crappy weather's more about if you can handle it you know versus the deer the deer's going to do his thing he doesn't care yeah if you can be out there and tolerate it that's the bigger thing so yeah. do what do what you got to do pack way more clothes than you need to stay warm i'm i'm planning on well i'm either going to go in and set up a ground blind a couple days before here or i might just set the ground blind there i might not pop it up just so it's not glaringly obvious 
and then actually pop it up Saturday morning or I might pack it in. I don't really want to do that, but I just need, I want to sit all day and I know it's going to be tough if I'm not in a blind. I saw now we're supposed to get like an inch of rain on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> going to need something. <laughs> I know. And I don't know. I don't know if I'll make it all day, but like gun season for me, isn't about like killing a mature buck. Like I would love to, but that's, I mean, gun season for me is really like, it's the only time I ever get to hunt with my dad. So yeah. a lot of times I will go and I'll just sit with him and I'll, I'll have him try to push deer to me. But at the same time, I say that like jokingly, cause I'll try to push deer to him cause he doesn't hunt any other time of the year really. And right. he hunts, you know, all of opening weekend, maybe he'll get in five hours in the woods, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, six hours. Um, so he's just not, he, he's about the camaraderie and the fun and playing cards and drinking beer and having a good time and seeing everybody. Yeah. He is about, uh, about killing a big buck. You know, he, yeah. he likes to shoot them if they show up, but it's not, you yeah. know, it's not his thing. And I would love it. Cause he would, he would put it, we're build, building a, Mark Szeski called it a barn dominium. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a, we call it a shouse. It's a shed house. And I mean, if he got into a big buck and he was able to kill it, I would definitely pay for the mount for him and we'd put it right up on the wall. For sure. For First sure. buck killed at the property. You know, it'd be, it'd be cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what opening weekends about, about for me. And I have, I've hunted whatever the last four, three weekends, and then I'll be hunting late season pretty heavily. I'll be sneaking onto your property and hunting a food plot too without you. Maybe with you knowing, maybe you'll come out there and see me in the stand and I'll lock that baby <laughs> what, up. What the hell are you doing out there? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. I didn't want to have to do it, but right, it's what it's, it's looking like. It's coming. Got, I'm going out tomorrow morning. I got one more chance. I think. Yeah. But other yeah, than that, I won't be out till late December probably. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but no, that's, that's my, those are my big gun tips. Just sit all day. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty basic sit all day and use your, use your, uh, neighbors to your advantage. And if you want to do drives, go for it, but just know, like you're probably pushing deer off your property into your neighbors. You might not even see. just being patient <laughs> and just letting yeah. them do their thing. And, and especially like for me hunting late season, I would rather, not put a lot of pressure on the property just because mm-hmm. then, I mean, that second rut can come around in, in early mm-hmm. December, late November, and you can get some good action during that. If you still have does. And we, I have mm-hmm. about four or five fawns on the property that'll come into heat likely. Mm-hmm. And then some does that didn't get bred might come back into heat. Yep. And, uh, and it'd be like, I will bow hunt that muzzle loader season, which is the last week of November, first week of December. I'll get down there for at least a, a couple evening sets out if nothing if nothing else I'll give it a try yeah jeff sturgis says it's it's good so I'm, i i gotta give it a go <laughs> people have swore by it i did it for the first time last year and i had one really good day a couple yeah. of not so good but one really good <laughs> right? when you're in it you're in it when you're not you're not man and of course they're like 250 yards away like, like oh uh, great sitting there with a smoke pole like <laughs> <laughs> for sure uh, all right everyone well thanks for listening i hope you guys figured something out with your wind and thermals and and you learned something from this and it wasn't just a, a total bullshit session between parker and i <laughs> um but uh best of luck to everybody in the upcoming gun season in wisconsin if that's where you're up to or if you're if you got your gun season coming up in your state best of luck to you stay safe shoot straight 
And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and uh, tell your friends about it and um, find us on Instagram. Parker, don't, don't even worry about trying to find Parker. I've, I've just stopped tagging him in things because he hasn't used his Instagram. Uh, About time. I still get emails for it. I got to like unsubscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Catch you later guys.